Hello, and welcome to One World, One Health, with the latest ideas to improve the health of our planet and its people. I'm Maggie Fox. All of us here on planet Earth are facing problems such as pollution, climate change, and infectious diseases, both old and new. This podcast is brought to you by the One Health Trust, with bite-sized insights into ways to help. The name of this podcast is One World, One Health, and the concept is simple. The world is one world, and all of us living here, animals, plants, and people, are connected. Climate's global, and a problem anywhere can become a problem everywhere. This has become so very clear to us in the 21st century, with outbreaks of Ebola causing worldwide panic, smoke spreading across continents from wildfires in often remote places, and, of course, the COVID pandemic. But preparation and forethought can help limit the damage. One of the best examples happened in Sierra Leone, where global health experts have been working for years to set up clinics to help fight a fairly local problem, Lassa fever. Those clinics were priceless when Ebola broke out in West Africa in 2014. Today, we're chatting with Dr. Robert Gary, Professor of Microbiology and Immunology at Tulane Medical School. Dr. Gary helped set up clinics, lab facilities, and infrastructure to study and battle tropical diseases in Sierra Leone and found that hard work paid off first with the Ebola epidemic and then when COVID spread. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Bob, can you tell us why a professor working at a university in Louisiana we care about a rare tropical disease halfway across the world in West Africa. Well, it goes back to the time when I actually just started in graduate school, and I went to the University of Texas in Austin in the microbiology department. I knew that I wanted to study viruses, but it turns out within the first week or so, I walked over to the library, and there was a book there. It was called Fever. And I read it and I was kind of hooked on these uh, emerging viruses uh, right away because it was a fascinating story. It was very well told. And I thought to myself, this is the kind of work that I, I wanted to get into. Well, I didn't get into it right away. There was another emerging virus that came. And that virus, everybody knows about. It's HIV, the virus, human immunodeficiency virus, the virus that causes AIDS. And so I worked on that for about 20 years. And then there came an opportunity, and it followed the, the Twin Towers that came down and the anthrax letters. Uh, NIH and other agencies started funding work on emerging viral diseases and bio-threat agents. And so it, that became an opportunity to sort of pivot a bit and, and work on a, a virus that I'd always been interested in since I read that little book back in the, in the uh, University of Texas library, Lassa virus, the virus that causes Lassa fever in West Africa. And why should a professor in Louisiana even care about these things? What's it got to do with people here in the U.S.? Well, we live in one world and a theme you're trying to develop here. And it's absolutely true. I mean, threats that are emerge in one part of the world can often reemerge in, in other parts of the world. And we saw that during the uh, Ebola outbreak that had never actually been in West Africa before 2013. But it came to us really a thousand miles away. We, we saw cases of this other hemorrhagic fever virus, Ebola, in the little country that I was working in, Sierra Leone. 
And that outbreak actually of Ebola spread throughout West Africa and actually ended up infecting people uh, across the world, uh, including in Europe and several cases in the United States. So things that happen in any part of the globe because of international travel and the way we're all interconnected can can affect us quite dramatically. Of course, we saw that with SARS-CoV-2, right? I mean, a virus that broke out in a city in China quickly spread. You know, this virus much more transmissible even than Ebola. Uh, SARS-CoV-2 quickly spread around the planet. And, you know, we had devastating consequences from that. So tell us about what you were doing in Kinema in 2013-2014. Well, we were working on Lassivirus, and there had not been a lot of work done on, on Lassivirus because, as you said, it's, it is something of a local problem there. It just uh, affects people in West Africa, but across a pretty broad stretch of West Africa, from all the way from the west part of West Africa to over to Nigeria and, and perhaps even further. So we knew that that virus was also something of a threat in terms of a bioterrorism agent, because you can imagine it's a deadly disease. Uh, people develop very serious symptoms. You know, they bleed from, from various orifices, and it's a highly fatal disease, about 70% uh, fatality rate. So we knew that this was a potential bio threat, but also, you know, a public health threat as well. And so, you know, those dual threats are, are agents that you really do want to work on, figure out what's going on. So... We were uh, first designing what we call countermeasures, and the first one is a diagnostic assay. So you need to be able to tell if the person that you're uh, dealing with actually has the disease. In West Africa, there are a lot of diseases that cause fevers, and that's the initial symptom of Lassa fever, of course. Sounds like it, right? And so just telling you know, whether your patient might have Lassa fever is important, especially early on. Because then you can design better treatments, you know, get the patient the kind of advanced, intense care that they need to them try to survive this disease. And so tell us how that preparation helped pay off in 2014. So we uh, had a lab set up already there in Kinema at the Kinema General Hospital in Sierra Leone, the, the very heart of Lassa fever country in Sierra Leone, and in fact, one of the hot spots in West Africa. So we had a laboratory infrastructure set up there already. We had trained doctors and trained nurses that were ready to treat uh, hemorrhagic fever patients. Now, the unfortunate part of that is, is that many of these people contracted Ebola when Ebola came to us. And a lot of my colleagues actually in Sierra Leone that I had been working with for, at that point, about a decade, the head doctor, a gentleman named uh, Humar Khan, basically the only Sierra Leonean virologist in the country, really, at the time, and uh, our head nurse, uh, Balu Foni, and, and several other nurses and, and people that worked at the hospital, unfortunately, contracted Ebola. So it was a, a major incident for us, but uh, certainly also for the people of Sierra Leone and the rest of West Africa. And did these preparations help in detecting the spread and then the eventual control of Ebola? Well, unfortunately, it didn't really help us spread, stop the spread very much because this is a pretty infectious virus. And once it really had started to spread in West Africa, there was really not much people could do. Now, it did help us in other ways. I mean, we actually learned something about the disease that had not been learned before during previous outbreaks. There had been over 40 outbreaks of Ebola before the virus came to West Africa, but they had been in small villages. Obviously, in those villages, no sophisticated research infrastructure. We had that in Kinema. We were able to do some early analysis of the patients that had come in, and very significantly, we were able to actually collect samples and do viral genomic sequencing. 
basically in real time. It's hard to sort of think back, even though it was, you know, it's been about 10 years, but it's hard to think back. That was pretty unusual. I mean, it was the first time it had really been done in an outbreak situation like that, that is to get the viral genetic sequence in real time. Now, we're used to it now with the SARS coronavirus pandemic that basically people are sequencing thousands of genomes each week and, and learning a lot of important things about the variants and how they have arisen and how they might impact your immune system. But when we did that in the West African Ebola outbreak, it was it was kind of a groundbreaking, I think. And people learned, yes, the viruses do mutate. We actually identified a mutation that probably helped this virus spread in West Africa. And it, it basically pointed to the fact that, yes, um, genomic sequencing is an important tool that you can use in an outbreak situation. And then did this pay off again with COVID? Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, people then immediately realized that, yes, you could do genetic sequencing and track the virus, see where it's spreading, see how it's changing, see how the the variants might be interacting differently with the human immune system or transmitting differently and, and identify mutations, say, in the receptor binding domain that help the virus bind better and, and do, do uh, its uh, transmission or pathogenesis different. So we don't know a lot yet already and we don't know enough, but you know, it's certainly a very promising way to go about analyzing the virus, and it's become a very important tool during pandemics. So tell us what you're working on now. Well, obviously, when you know, you're in an outbreak situation, you work on the virus that is you know, being spread. So we did some coronavirus work and uh, did some diagnostic assays. We actually looked in Sierra Leone to see if we could find any evidence that the virus might have been there before. And we didn't actually find evidence that SARS itself had been there, but we do think that there are some SARS-like viruses that probably have been spreading in West Africa much before the pandemic. One thing you may know, probably know, is that Africa was, at least sub-Saharan Africa, was relatively spared from the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. I mean, there were cases and there were, it was a serious issue there, but it was not anything like we experienced in the United States or or in in Europe or anything like that. Sub-Saharan Africa, you know, had very few cases and very, very few deaths, relatively speaking, uh, for the population. And how can that help people elsewhere in the world? Well, if we find these viruses, we'll learn a lot more about coronaviruses, number one, but we'll also learn what makes people protected because we certainly didn't see the high case fatality rates. People were very worried about Africa when this pandemic started to spread. They were worried, okay, there's places where there's not good health care. There's places where uh, the infrastructure is not good to even detect the virus or, or do these things. And, and fortunately, it does seem like, like the people had some innate immunity against SARS-CoV-2. And if you can study that immunity, that's got to be good for helping come up with better vaccines, better treatments. Absolutely. That, that's what we're hoping for. The first thing we're going to try to do is to find the virus. And we have some leads, but not quite ready to say we found the uh, actual virus yet. And let's be clear on this. These viruses emerge in nature, correct? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, most of the viruses that eventually become pandemic and spread, and we've had a few of these recently, like the monkeypox virus, a little bit before that, Zika virus, and history is, is, is full of those, going back to sort of my first entry into virology with the human immunodeficiency virus. All of these viruses have come to us from animals, so it's a zoonotic transfer, that's what we call it, and the spillovers occur, and they're occurring all the time, you know, on a daily basis, you know, and they come from animals like bats or rodents or other species, and not every virus that spills over has this pandemic potential, and we don't really know enough yet to 
determine what which of these viruses it has the secret mix of ingredients that it's going to do something like SARS-CoV-2 is able to do, that is, spread around the planet and cause the chaos that that, that virus caused. But we're looking, we're trying to figure it out. This is you know, sort of an overall goal of virologists, I think, to understand how these viruses are able to spill over and then take off. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you like this podcast, which is brought to you by the One Health Trust, please share it by email or on social media and let us know what else you'd like to hear about at OWOH at OneHealthTrust.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to One World, One Health, brought to you by the One Health Trust. I'm Ramanan Lakshminarayan, founder and president of the One Health Trust. You can subscribe to One World, One Health on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media at One Health Trust, One Word, for updates on One World, One Health, and the latest in research on One Health issues like drug resistance, disease spillovers, and the social determinants of health. Finally, please do consider donating to the One Health Trust to support this podcast and other initiatives and research that help us promote health and well-being worldwide. Until next time.